Welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. I'm Alexandria. And I'm Jasleen. We're here to disrupt the tech industry by connecting diverse job seekers with inclusive organizations where talent from communities that are underrepresented can thrive. Whether you're a job seeker who belongs to an underrepresented group, a tech employer interested in learning how to attract diverse talent, or a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion looking for resources, we have got you covered. Here's to disrupting. All right. Well, Gabe, welcome back. And so excited to have you here for this conversation and joining us on the Disruptors again. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. It's been a very, um, I don't know, good day so far. So I'm um, just um, not as crazy as, you know, the other work days, but yeah, thanks for having me here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about bias in, bias out, and the effects of bias and all of the different pieces that go into data collection, uh, data analysis, and really talking about how we rely on data and allowing it to tell its story, which I'm super excited for you to dig into because I love how you talk about the story of data. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about, for people who maybe haven't joined with you before, what you're doing with TechCheck and your relationship with data as a whole? Thank you so much. Uh, for for this opportunity, actually. So just to give you a little background about myself, I originally got into, you know, tech from being like a data analyst. I was more of a junior data analyst from years back. And then I gradually transitioned into cloud then. Uh, I took certifications and then I got myself um, a cloud role. And after a while, I, my, my tie to data as my sort of like my first love getting into the tech space still um, came back and then I got into like data engineering and my cloud background of course definitely helped me with that data engineering part because it has a lot to do with handling big data sets you know um, spinning up um, GPU machines that were able to process large volume of data and do like a lot of this um, categorization and processing layers and um, along the line of that, I got to start helping other people who, who have been interested in getting in that space of cloud and data mm-hmm. and um, more like helping people identify the main differences between those two. And, um, you know, that came about TechChat because we needed to start, needed to start doing it at scale because there were so many, you know, instances where people were taking so much of my time to my own personal time. And then that was how TechChat came back, came by. And then I thought about having a platform where people can actually go through the learning process and then get to do hands-on project while learning. Mm-hmm. And that hands-on project can be used to build your portfolio. And then they could be, they could use that as a form of exchange, um, like in place of experience as, okay, this is how the project I have worked on and also providing support while completing those projects in case they're going through challenges. And um, as far as data is concerned and how, you know, I have been using data and um, to myself and to my organization, number one is um, from how we've been able to evolve over time. We started off as a platform that, that just has a bunch of projects and we're telling people to just go to the platform, just do this project, figure it out. Mm-hmm. However... From the from the back end, we were able to tap into our data set and understand the rate of um, project completion. Mm-hmm. And we started finding out that a lot of people that were beginners, because when people sign up, 
they put in their information as beginners or intermediate or advanced. So mm -hmm. one of the observations was like, people, we saw, we were calculating the number of people that signed up and getting the number of people that were beginners and also comparing that number to the kind of projects they were trying to do. So we found out beginners were actually trying out advanced projects. And even the beginners project they were trying out was not as, um, was not matching up with their skill in terms of the level. So that drove about, that created different decisions in terms of, okay, it looks like people need a little bit more of training before they start attempting project. And we start introducing like training partnership and working with people that could come in, train people, get paid for it. And then we sort of like have that platform as, as a service team. Data was the main decision behind that, just yeah. to <laughs> point it out. Yeah, no, I love that you just talked exactly how data can be leveraged to make business decisions and support people, right? And really that human piece that we want all of our decisions to be the right decisions, right? And having Absolutely. the information from the data allowed you to make that versus, oh, I think they need this or this feels good and making the, you know, decisions off of feel facts versus real facts. Exactly. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about how do you think data and like what is the power of data and how it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what opportunities do we have there? Um, I think that's a very you know great question. Um, so when you as data relates to diversity, equity, inclusion, I've seen over time data provides some sort of transparency into you know actual like we can have like think about it we have millions of billions of people in the world and then these different people are divided into different ethnic groups these mm. different ethnic groups are divided into different you know sub-ethnic groups um, races and across all of that and what we've seen over time is the using those information to actually make strategic decisions either at a business level at a government level social or economic level mm -hmm. and they are the biggest advantage that i've seen that that has given us over time up till now is the accessibility of the common man to actually see to be able to see what data looks like and be able to tell okay it looks like these are the groups that are that have the biggest share of uh, maybe market size in terms of employment oh it looks like we now have like 30 percent of people that are you know black that are occupying certain you know roles within a company or people that are like um not necessarily like categorized as minority occupying certain roles and calculating how the trend has grown over time let's say for instance i've read like different um, blogs and articles that has, that has shown the growth of um of, of how the black people in, in America, for instance, have participated at C-level positions in different companies. And then we've seen trends where we can, even a common person that doesn't understand data can actually see the trend line and understand what the progression of that looks like without them seeing the actual data itself. So mm -hmm. I think that's one thing that I've seen it contribute into uh, diversity and inclusion. It's given us like the more visibility and more transparency into how that impacts us. And that tells us to do something in return, like, you know, people that are minority or people that are very underrepresented to probably maybe apply more or also speak out more about, you know, things that are not necessarily fair in terms of, you know, being in workplace and not getting the right promotion or, or stuff like that. Yeah, so it sounds like the power of data is really the understanding of the current place that we're in 
maybe where yes. we've come from because we've been collecting data for a while. Absolutely. But I also, it sounds like creates the opportunity to ask interesting questions about, okay, well, here is the data, right? Yeah. Like we have, uh, I think across the nation, the last time I looked, uh, black people and people of color make up less than 5% of the tech jobs across the nation. And it's even less than that specifically in Silicon Valley. Like that is not representative of our population in the United States as a whole for how many black people and people of color there are. So the question becomes why, right? And what Absolutely. needs to happen to shift that? Because the answer is not black people don't want to be in tech. Like that is yep. not the answer, not even the though answer. that is a boring answer. I hear a lot like, oh, well, they could be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so what other powerful questions do you think could come out of the data that we are currently seeing that would help support and create more space for Black people to have that position in tech that is more representative of the population? Um, I think some other things that we could look into is actually doing like a relative weight, meaning um, getting like the actual number of people of color that are applying to certain roles. So for instance, let's say out of 50 applications that are being sent out only, or out of 100 applications, let's standardize it, only about five of those applicants are black. Mm -hmm. And then, or maybe like three are Latinos and maybe, you know, few are like Browns. And then the rest are like none of those, most of the majorities. I think if we get like more of like a detailed, um, de like decomposed, um, dig in into the data to that level, mm -hmm. it also sends a message like, well, maybe people get threatened when they see certain roles and say, okay, you know what? I know this is a C-level role. I'm just going to go for it anyways and see the chances of at least, you know, getting to that point and however that might come. And also then, you know, getting the output of the data set like, okay, out of this um, um, amount of applications, how many were even called back? Because mm -hmm. think about the, the chances of even getting a call back when you apply to certain roles. I think there needs to be a level of um, digging deep into like data set that are just that even by law or by, you know, it should, they should be publishable to the, to like the public for, for public to be able to explore what this looks like. And the question that now brings back to people of color or people, the minority people that are in that situation is um, strategizing ways to probably do more of um, sensitizing people, encouraging people to apply more, um, providing more facilities that make education accessible, creating more connections among, you know, people. I think those driven decisions could definitely come out of the data, you know, data set and we do the community a greater good, especially those that are fully underrepresented. Yeah, I really find it interesting what you're talking about with the transparency into the data and like the whole framing of this conversation, right? Bias in, bias out and thinking about what data is missing, right? And then that transparency that we want to be able to dig into all of the different people and what their identities are that are applying for jobs or getting jobs and all of the data that could be collected are we even collecting all of the data that could and should be collected? Or are people being lumped in when it really should be parsed out and more transparent? Yeah, I think that's a very um, interesting question that I feel like at, the, at, the, at every organization level, whenever people, I mean, just to create some sort of um, 
equity or like some some sort of fairness in terms of people applying to jobs. Mm -hmm. I've seen situations where, well, I've heard of situations where certain jobs are posted and um, they even applying is just for applying sake. There's already like a pre-established um, mechanism in place on who will get a job or, you know, how the, the process will go in itself. Mm -hmm. I think there needs to be a level of um, exposure, probably from, you know, laws that 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 are able to connect to uh, just like companies re report their financial, um, you know, gains, loss for the year to be made publishable to the public. So mm -hmm. investors can make decisions. The same thing should, should be done at the job application level. Whenever people apply for jobs, let there be a sort of transparency from auditors that can, you know, look into like the connect to the data source, see the category of these people applying. I've seen, most of the application we do, we get that checkbox where they ask you, fill in the, you know, race you belong to. Are you black, non-black, African-American, Latino? I think those are very relevant data, but the question is who has access to those data set in terms of how many follow-ups were done, who mm -hmm. got called back, what is the percentage of you know people of color that actually even got an interview slot in the first place and compare the credentials among themselves. I think that's where the transparency issue comes into place and uh, probably there's a line between what the privacy of a company is um, talking about versus what the general public is trying to have an understanding about. Mm -hmm. But I I really don't see a case for not being able to publish things like that, especially if it's something that would help the public make better decisions. Mm -hmm. I think that's super interesting talking about, that's almost like standardization of data collection, right? Like Absolutely. all companies collecting the same data and releasing it would be the yeah. best way to get the biggest picture because I wonder if what's happening often is like not all companies are collecting the same information or looking at the same information. And some of that, I'm sure, comes down to not knowing, right? I don't know what I don't know. I don't yep. know what I should be collecting or shouldn't be collecting or even any of those pieces. What are your thoughts on creating standardization around what companies should be collecting or do want to be looking at? Because should be like, I don't know we're probably not going to do that, but like for their own benefit, want to collect. So they get that full picture themselves. Um. So my own thought and my own suggestion has always been one thing. And it's um, when it comes to applications to companies, I think there can be a central way of everybody sort of like having a user interface that, and that helps standardize, right? Because each company is having different ways they are doing the application process. Some would even say, just send an email, send your resume, whatnot. Mm -hmm. If there can be a way where the data is actually not going directly to the company, the application is not mm -hmm. going directly to the company, it's going to like an independent organization that has the data of those people, then each company is connecting to a database, this large database that they are picking the applicants that are relevant to their company from there, because of course, when you visit the domain that is applicable to the company's application, clearly it's just going to go directly and have a filter that indicates you're applying to that company without the candidate even necessarily selecting because they know they're applying to that job. Right. So that in the, in like a central database where 
every company is having access to if you think about it how do they do how do companies do background check for people when they're applying mm -hmm. clearly there is an independent organization that is not a part of the company that is just handling the background check piece which cannot be um, compromised because it's just what it is and um, so if the companies are not necessarily handling that and they are delivering it to independent bodies and then that does not end there it ends at Companies now giving like a report back on out of the number of applicants, then checking the people that were actually accepted or rejected and giving the accurate reasons, not accurate, but giving a summary of why certain candidates were not called back. Mm -hmm. As much as that might sound like it's a lot of work, because for one application, I think, you know, it might be two for one job role can be up to 200 or even more applications right. but if there's a generic way of just generally describing that oh this resume doesn't meet the standard and then giving the ones that actually met the standard giving the reports of those and then system and not actually doing comparison of those that met the standard versus those that do not meet the standard and checking what is actually going wrong with those mm -hmm. sort of like those two things it shows it creates transparency because companies that have been able to grant interview to people that quote unquote do not meet the standard of you know what they're looking for. If there is this, if there is like a standardized way of gauging that, and people actually seeing that, well, it's actually not the case that people don't meet the standard. It's just because maybe the hiring manager has a preference for some for someone applying, you know, because of the name. I think things like that will be really helpful. And the reason I say that is because if you think, if you take a look at even from names, I've heard about candidates getting, you know, not getting a call back just because of their name. And right. because you can tell someone's origin by their name. As a matter of fact, there are simple machine learning models that can actually have 10,000 names and tell you a confidence of, okay, I am I am 90% sure this person's name, this person is white. I'm 90% sure this person is black. I'm sure this person is African kind of thing. And then we're able to like gauge that. I think that's the kind of transparency that would definitely create a lot of um, fairness and um, not just to the um, to the general public, to the candidates, and also help people make on how to make better decisions going forward. Because it might just be that they did not in fact meet the requirements and okay, what can I do better? How can I do better on my resume? What skill set can I put? And all that. Yeah, I think everything you're talking about, right, that talks about how bias and unchecked bias shows up in the interview process and yeah. the power of data to say, hey, these two candidates had the exa exact same credentials. Correct. And you went with this candidate over this candidate. Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> right? And like being able to dig into that to show, hey, bias does effect it is showing up it is still a problem that we can't ignore and Absolutely. then i also like a lot of the companies that are moving towards um autonomizing resumes to remove those identifiers so that you can just look at their credentials and then move people through the process at least early on with reducing as much bias as possible right. i think that there's a lot of power in that and i look forward to how um technology can help us continue to do that. Cause I think that that will be a really big equalizer. Yep. So let's talk specifically about how do you think current data collection norms impact and affect the black community? 
Um, I would say in terms of data connect collection norms, the way it's affected the black community, in my opinion, would be what kind of the way the data is being collected and um like where exactly are these data being collected from? Because if you think about seeing the black community, um the black community is clearly we have different parts of let's say the United States, for instance, that the black community if if people that are getting the data sets are not touching all of the, at least covering, I've seen a lot of the data set that we see online, whatever, they do not necessarily reflect what, you know, the, the let's say the black community is sort of representing. And it's like, uh, the question that should come out of that is where exactly are those data being collected? Who are they getting the data set from? How are they actually getting them? I think that's more of the question of how the data is being collected because I can decide to say, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go around, just go around different states in the United States, just meet random black people and ask them certain questions and um make a decision based off that. Mm -hmm. The question now is that when I was in New York, where exactly did I go? Like, did I get the the, did I get the accurate information about the largest concentration of where the black people are and I'm able to actually physically reach those places and um, have physical conversations? It requires a lot of time and attention. Then even explain to them why I am getting the data because not everyone is also comfortable with, you know, giving certain data set. Let's say you're trying to get data set about or creating surveys. I've seen a lot of surveys like that where someone just randomly walks to you on a train ask you to feel certain information. I think a little bit of education can be done in terms of, because that's the, I feel like that's the probably the most common or easiest way of data collection, just a survey, meaning mm -hmm. you're identifying people physically that are black and you're giving them something to fill out, just asking them random questions. The, 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 the way that gets interesting is no, no, not everyone feels comfortable just all, wants to write something at that point in time, but probably giving some sensitization about why data are being collected and why they're, what they're being used for is also important. And uh, also I spoke about the the location and where you're going. You can go to New York and you go to Long Island and get data of black people on Long Island without you going to places like, you know, East New York, Brooklyn, or maybe like Queens that have like larger concentration of black people or finding like um, predominantly black people dominated area, mm -hmm. that will probably help in, you know, getting more data set and maybe closer to the accuracy because that's one of the problems, like the accuracy really of what you're getting impacts the norm. And then that in turn impact decisions that are being made. So I think those are like two important things, like where the data are being collected, mm -hmm. how they're being collected. Yeah, I think those are really great points, right? And I think some of the things that you were touching on there, really talking about like the Black community is not a monolith. You yeah. can't collect data from five Black people and say this is all Black people because the Black community, like while that's a very large umbrella, there are so many other subcategories of what that is and how people show up and how people think and what people need. And when we Absolutely. dig into diversity, equity, and inclusion, that impacts each of those communities slightly differently and their experience in the world is different and they need something different for equality to be real. And I think one of the things that stands out to me the most with the data is what's missing. 
because I think there's so much data not being collected from a wide enough group of people to actually be able to make informed decisions that would be supportive and helpful to each of those communities. What are your thoughts on that? So I want to make sure I get a question very well. Can you kind of rephrase the last parts? I think I'm I'm getting two thoughts on it. Uh, so like, really, do you think that we are collecting a wide enough range of data from a wide enough range of people, specifically talking, like just focusing in on the Black community? Because I think there's a lot of data missing for the other communities as well from historically marginalized groups, but just focusing in on the Black community, right? That's a big umbrella. Like you talked about earlier, like what country are they from? Are what part of even the United States are they from? What is their family origin? What is their experience in the world? Do you think we're collecting a wide enough range of data to make informed decisions? Definitely. I, I don't think um we are doing that. That I can say. And um that's because of the the bias and the um the direction of decisions that are being made over time and even the numbers, the stats itself, you know, that come that comes out of this um numbers that honestly at times I've I've seen certain percentages and I feel like, oh, I think someone just sat down and just made this up, just said, oh, we're 25% of this. And it sounds um, academically brilliant to say, oh, 28% of this over time. But <laughs> the real question is um you know, we where are the data set being collected, like I said before. And another thing I would say is leveraging stale data is also another issue. Like someone can actually bring out a data from 2004. Mm. The thing is, if you look at what has happened between 2004 up until now, there has been a drastic technological revolution that has happened over yeah. time. And that goes from um, the area of, um, especially in, in internet evolution, social media, and there are certain strategic places that I feel like the data is not even touching, like different touch points. For instance, going on Facebook or some random media, like um, let's say to just get like certain, maybe like getting certain data sets about what category of people are here and then making decisions based off that might not be of, of best um, of best interest to the group that, that is being um, leveraged on. So I think it's very, very important that we are, we are actually looking at data sets that cut across different um, range, like different category in terms of location, um, in terms of even like when we're talking about social media, could be a very good advantage too. Like there are a lot of, you know, people of color on social media that, you know, can be leveraged. So I think the strategy, the people collecting it, ed the educational part of, you know, why they are being collected and how they are streaming the data set into the right um, destination that it should go is, is a very, very um, big role that has to be played. And that alone is a reflection that, these data sets are not widely representing, you know, the bigger community for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. That's, that's super interesting thought. And like, <laughs> I think we think, oh, so much data is already being collected, but I still don't no. think there's enough or from, <laughs> maybe it's not even enough. Maybe it's the right data, right. From the locations yeah. and like really yeah. being mindful about what data is being collected where. So what do you think are the pitfalls that people should be aware of, companies should be aware of in the data collection and analysis specifically when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? 
Um, I think one of the pitfalls should be, um, I would say, the the way the the, the data security in itself. Like, let's say data has been collected, who has access to the data? Because, and also, are there proper login that the logins that are put in place? Mm. And I'll say that because if I'm using Excel, Microsoft Excel worksheet to collect data sets, it's easier for me to manipulate that. Even if I have, let's say I have like thousands or millions of records, I can easily manipulate that by just going to a goal and just delete it. Like, how do I track what has been done, what has been removed, what has been adjusted, or mm -hmm. um, what has been um, um, compromised? So yeah. it's important to actually have proper login in place. Mm -hmm. So when we look at standard databases, like let's say they are storing the data set in like um, standard databases, like let's say Microsoft um, SQL, Postgres, or even like a data warehouse like Oracle database, I think for 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 um for for services like that they track changes that happen so those are like pitfalls that we could look out for they track the changes who made the change because creating access to who has access to database also would tell you which of those people who have access have been able to compromise it and if none of them did Maybe there is something externally coming from an external external attack, and that's where protection, data protection, comes into place. Meaning, mm -hmm. what protections are being put in place to surround the servers that are hosting the this database or data set that 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 exists? And also, encryption is another thing. Like when data sets are being you know stored, the assigned data set, let's say. Um, data set that even have to do with sensitive, a little more sensitive information, mm -hmm. you know, how secure are those at rest or at transit? So I think those are the pitfalls that, you know, should be looked out for. And that's because these are things that impact integrity and things that actually impact accuracy and which can lead to decisions that might be in favor or, you know, not in favor of the impacted um, people. Yeah, I think you talk, we talked to some of the other pitfalls, right? Like location, collection as a whole, but also, yeah, that integrity of that data is huge. That like, is how do we know we can trust the data that we're seeing if we don't know what happened to the data prior, right? Was it manipulated? Did somebody just take a huge chunk and delete it because it served their story a little bit better? And actually, let's talk about that, right? The story of data, and you talk about it a lot. So can you expand on your attachment to the story of data and what that means and what people could be getting from their data? Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And um, the I, I would say, if you think about it, let's just take a very, I always like to use an analogy of um, expenses, right? Let's say you live in a household of four people mm -hmm. and then... Um, you're calculating how much you spend on your bills every month. And you're having an accurate record of that from January to December for 2001. Mm -hmm. Then 2002, you take the same record. Let's stop at 2001 for now. And you're able to look at the data sets, um, not data set, but just you have an Excel sheet where you track those expenses. And you see like, oh, it looks like July is the highest month, right? Mm -hmm. And that alone, at its simplicity, is already telling you a story. Mm -hmm which you can make a conclusion based off. And what is that? Oh, July is our most, most that we're spending the most. Now let's move to the next year. Let's say we move to the next year and then you see that out of all the months, July again, and then the next year again, July again. So now what this, this now becomes like, 
the first one is giving you a statement, second one is giving you some statement with another statement, then after that it becomes a story. And the story turns out to be that, oh, well, it looks like for the past three years, July has been a month that we've seen high expense rate. Okay, what is going on in July? Maybe we can now start looking at, you know, factors that are leading to that. And that's the, the story about data that I really love. And what this tells you is that if you do this for consecutively 30 years, now, if you have a standard way of getting what that peak month is across all of the years, you're not worried about digging into the data and um, looking into each of the columns and seeing, okay, which one is highest, what happened here. The fact that you can have like a visualization that shows like a trend and that spike in July or whatever month that shoots out to you, it's a it's a very it's it, it's a story that is being told and it's it's something that can be shown to anyone even at the you know I'm I'm using my jobs um, or jobs that I've worked as example this is how we communicate to C level you know um, an executive level decision making they don't care to see the the deepness of the data set or what number is where or what is being rounded up as long as they can see a visualization of okay, this is a time that things are going up. Even someone that has ne that has no idea of data or mm -hmm. the background in data set will be able to understand what that interpretation means. Just like looking at a stock exchange, um, you know, um, or like a stock price going over time. And that alone is the story that, you know, I always say like data set tells. And that could go boil down to other type of visualization like pie charts, graphical visualization, and many more. Yeah, so it's the pattern that you see that allows you to ask the the powerful question, right? Like if you, Absolutely. and to make better decisions in the future, right? So just going off of your example that you gave, if you know that for the past three years, July is your high spending month and you're trying to adjust your finances to be more proactive, then you can say, oh, we spend twice as much in July than we do any other month. Exactly. Here's what we can do to our budget to prepare for July when it yeah. comes. Yep. Right. Absolutely. And so if we bring that back to diversity, equity, and inclusion, for the last 10 years, we have had less than 10% of applicants coming out of the Black community. Why? And what can we do to adjust people applying for our jobs, right? And starting there, if that's the first thing that you notice is that people aren't even applying. Well, that gives you the point to look at your hiring process and be like, oh, we need to start it from the job description. We need to start it from recruiting recruiting. versus if you see, oh, we have a lot of people who apply, but then they drop off in the interviews. Oh, well, see, that's a whole other conversation to have and a whole other story that is being exposed that can then exactly. be adjusted. Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of power <laughs> in that and the ability to okay, what do we adjust, right? Versus like, I don't know, we just change everything. <laughs> yeah. That's not necessary. No. <laughs> yeah. So how do people who want to use data and like, let's talk about the smaller companies, the people who like, it's maybe a mom and pop type of shop or a small startup that maybe they don't have data people to really go collect data sets and data feels overwhelming, how would you encourage people to get some of the stories out of their data and start looking at it in a thoughtful way? Yeah, very good question. I think a lot of these, you know, a lot of people always think, oh, they have to be like a numbers person. They have to be, 
very crazy with all of these mathematical, you know, algorithms to be able to use data to make decisions. But no, it actually starts from just understanding. I think it's important to not even get fancy about the tools. It's important to get, understand the problem that is being solved in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I think understanding the business problem first and knowing what is being tried, what you want to get out of that problem, which every body who owns a business will be able to answer. As long as that can be answered intuitively, I think that now boils down to decision-making and, okay, what tools are now being used? Now, I would say starting from Microsoft Excel, I think Microsoft Excel is, is probably the most accessible data analysis tool that I've ever come across. Mm -hmm. And that's because with Microsoft Excel, it gives you the flexibility to go as as high or as low as you want to go. So if you're the person that you're not too much, you know, technical, getting started with Microsoft Excel is a very, very great way. And, um, you know, understanding how to, how to create categories for different, let's say, a small business, creating categories for different, you know, maybe transactions coming in, um, different population of people. And then now to tell a story out of that or to create some type of analysis out of that can be as simple as working with like pivot table as a, as, as a function in Excel, for instance. So what an example of what pivot table will do is look at the pool of the data set you have in that, in a tab, and then try to look at category summarization. For example, how many sales were made in a month? Um, what is the count? What is the average? Those are like numbers that are very important to see, okay, within a specific period of time, these are the averages that we got. This is like the, um, you, you might even try to categorize different people. Maybe you have people by their age and you want to see, create your own special category of people between 12 to 14 are categorized as, you know, this and, you know, creating like that custom um, categorization for them that can actually be used when you're doing your summary. And even as, as um, even though Excel is not the perfect tool for visualization, even if you want to visualize, like you want to see like a graphical representation that you can export into a PowerPoint, Excel is very amazing for that also. If you take advantage of those, you know, those functionalities in, in it, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I want to touch on the thing that I think is like the starting point is the question, right? Like it's really hard to collect the right data if you don't have the right question. Absolutely. Like what are you solving for? What are you looking for? What do you need? Yep. And I think that the complication in that is like I heard you say that business owners can answer that, but I wonder if they can truly answer that. Because I think that we get stuck in our own framing of mind, like, oh, well, I think this is the problem. And we go down a rabbit hole and that was a symptom. The problem is actually over here. So what guidance would you give to people when they need to formulate the question to then go find the data that would give them the answer? How do you think about question formulation before you get to data collection? I think the... What I always do and the approach I think is best is to actually, especially for businesses that are just growing out, I think getting out like um, opinions of people that are actually using whatever value you're creating for them. So that's what I always do. If I want to formulate a business problem or a business question that I am trying to solve, especially with data, I start having conversations with random, you know, random people. So here's the thing. I know we initially said, oh, data sets 
should be diverse enough to represent certain, you know. Um, but there are situations where you want to make certain decisions that you know it's a no-brainer that is going to make sense, and you're just looking for one thing that would invalidate that. So let's say you can reach out to random people within like a platform or within the people in the category of the value you're trying to create and do a sampling. And what that sampling does is, let's say you want to build a feature and you know you want to build a feature and all you need is certain number of no's. You are looking for maybe once I get, I'm going to put out like 50 people and if I can get no's from 10 people, that means I'm not going to do it because mm. that already represents a reasonable fraction of my users. So what we always do is to actually now, you know, maybe send some, send out some sort of like campaign emails to ask, you know, questions about a feature that is being rolled out or a next level to the value that is being added to what people are already getting mm -hmm. and see what they think about it. Um, most times out of the 50 people, you know, if it's a decision that is definitely going to help them, you're hardly going to get a nose, but just getting like three, four nose means like, oh, this is going to add, this is going to harm three to four people out of the 50 people. Personally, to me, that means a no for almost everyone, especially if the existence without change is not negatively impacting people. So I think asking the right question from people that are getting that value is important. And that's where the proximity to the beneficiaries are actually, is actually very, very important. And that's why I made reference to a small business because mm -hmm. it's accessible to me. If a business like Amazon would take a different route. And sure. I mean, of course, I wouldn't expect Jeff, Jeff Bezos to make a call. I mean, if he calls me, I'll be the luckiest person. But I wouldn't expect him to call me and say, oh, I'm trying to make this change to Amazon. What are your thoughts about it? You know, so I, I feel like that's that takes a whole different approach, which is not even something I have much experience in. Sure. Yeah, yeah I, I like your thought about invalidating the premise on the front end, right? Like checking the assumptions, pushing and poking holes in the logic. Like this is the question I think I need to be asking. Is it? And then go and look for, is this the question that I need to be asking? And then looking at all of the data, like the the no's and the yeses, and then making, well, not making the story, but allowing the story to unfold in the collection even of that, because you may figure out like, oh, of those 50 people, nobody said no. So I definitely need to be making this feature, right? And Absolutely. that attempt to invalidate creates its own story out of the data itself. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so this has been a wonderful conversation and I want to give a little bit more focus time on tech check and like what, you know, like as one of our education partners with the disruptors, I really think it's powerful what you're doing and giving the space for people to expand and learn. So like you adding in those uh, learning paths that you have now, because that's new. You just released those pretty recently. Yes, and the ability to grow the portfolio, because I think that's one thing that has been missing a lot. There's a lot of boot camps out there, but everybody comes with the same portfolio out of them. So they don't really get to stand out in the market. But what y'all are doing is different. You have a bunch of different projects and people can engage in a bunch of different projects and create their own portfolio. So do you want to talk a little bit more about the learning paths that you all just released and how they can be helpful for people trying to get jobs in data analytics? Absolutely. I really do appreciate the time for that. And thanks for the conversation. This is a beautiful conversation about data <laughs> stories. And um, so just to give a little background about, you know, what TechJack is currently doing. Um, so 
we are, we are creating um like an initiative that sort of like helps people that are providing training and people that are getting the training. Mm -hmm. And that's the twist to it. The people that are providing the training is a little twist to it because we're not having these trainers come on the platform and say, hey, I want to train people, but listen, I work, I have so many things. I have a job, I have a child, I have this, all these things going on. I don't want to create the classes. I don't want to look for people. I'm just going to come teach and get, you know, my value out of it mm -hmm. and then move on to the next set of people I want to teach. And that comes with the question of, okay, we're able to match people on the platform that really need that training. Mm -hmm. Those people that want to get taught. And the twist to it or the good part of it is that after the training or during the training, they have access to like hundreds of projects. And it's a hands-on project because the platform still remains that we still have that one goal at the back of our mind, meaning the best way people learn is when they do it. So yes. no matter how much we teach, no matter how much you try to explain the concept to them, giving them the opportunity to now try it out and document the process and and if they're able or when they're able to solve the problems that are attributed to what they are learning, mm -hmm. they're able to put that as a portfolio, as a credit to what they have done. And that, apart from that being like um, a credential for them to even start, you know, interfacing with companies to tell them to see what they can do. It's also like sort of a self-fulfillment, you know, two hours a time you're getting a job like, oh, I've actually solved this problem. I did it myself. And I even have like something to back up for it. I don't have to waste my time creating a folder on my computer. What if that gets deleted? I just have it on this platform. When I sign up, I will see it there. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of like the idea behind it. And um, to that effect, we've launched like um, some live trainings that are coming up. Um, I think we did like one for data analysis, which is I think we have about few seats left for that and then we have one for cloud engineering which sort of we're working with like an aws partner trainer on mm -hmm. that who's directly from amazon and he's going to be teaching that class which i think is a very big um deal and mm -hmm. um and after that they have a two month transition period where all they are doing is project for two months and they don't have to pay anything on tech chat they're going to do everything for you know at no cost and also we are beginning to get into the face of um helping out people we're trying to serve like personally as a person i never got the opportunity to serve in the military and i'm trying to see the way i could give back to people in the military and we have been launching this initiative to like provide free um you know free projects free hands-on project and support why they are doing the project to like people that are veterans and all yeah yeah that's beautiful so I think the power in what you're doing is also you, you get the projects, you get the different portfolio, but it also allows people who are pivoting into tech to learn the language so that when they get into that interview, they can talk about the projects and the experience and they do have that experience because I think that's one of the disconnects is people maybe have experience, but they don't know how to talk about it to the employers in a way that they can hear, oh, this person can do what I need them to do. And I think that's one of the really powerful pieces of what you're doing and the support that you're giving. So anybody who's listening that is interested in data or a track into data, definitely go tech, check out Tech Check and uh, the learning pathways that they have now, as well as the projects. Like if you are looking to grow your portfolio, for sure, go check them out. Uh, if you are looking for a job actively, go join the disruptors at jobdisruptors.com. We have a bunch of different jobs posted, a wide range of them. 
And if you are an employer who is seeking talent, we have a huge community of talent from Tech Check and from the Disruptors. And we would love to get you matched up with these high quality candidates. So go over to Job Disruptors and set up uh, your account with us and we'll reach out to you. Is there anything else that you want to share today, Gabe? Um, I think that's all from my side. I think it's, I just wanted to mention that you're doing absolutely amazing with job disruptors and, you know, helping people that are underrepresented, especially during these times of, you know, different, you know, um, variations going on and also putting words out there to encourage people. I really do, you know, appreciate that from you. (laughs) Thank you. That's very yeah. kind of you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting market right now for everybody yeah. involved. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. for sure. We're all we're all in this together, just learning yeah. and figuring it out. <laughs> Uh, If you are listening to this on podcast form, please make sure that you rate us and review us so that more people can get access, share it with anybody you think would find this valuable. And we appreciate your time and attention. Join us next week. We have uh, Portia on with us to talk about what it looks like pushing back and being Black in the workplace. So I will talk to you all soon. Thank you, Gabe. Have a wonderful day. Good one. Yes. Bye. Thanks. concludes today's episode. If you want to help us disrupt the tech industry to increase the representation of diverse talent, please register and subscribe at our website, jobdisruptors.com. Also, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast and share with DEI champions and diverse talent alike. Here's to disrupting.